Listen up. This is El Lobo, Andy Anderson, the Lone Wolf, and you are listening to Wrestling POV Global right now. Hey, wrestling fans, welcome to another edition of WPOV Global. I'm your host, the legend T. James Logan. With me, my co-host, Elio the Gentleman Canella. What's going on? And our returning sometimes guest, because I know the UFC world pulls him away. We're talking about <laughs> Ant Deliberated. Gentlemen, what's happening? Ant, you're looking a little tired, man. I know there is a lot of MMA stuff this week in particular, even more so in the coming week. Um... I'm holding on. I'm doing okay. I mean, it could be worse. It could be, you know, three fights in a matter of an eight-day span. But, you know, it's just so much going on, given that UFC is playing catch-up ball as a result of COVID-19. But it's fun. True. You want to see three fights in a row, go down to a cheap bar after closing time. (laughs) (laughs) Facts. Anyways, guys, welcome to another edition of the show. You know what? This has been a particularly strong and I'm going to say somewhat painful week in North America in wrestling and in out of wrestling, there have been a lot of things when there's like five things that have been weighing on my mind. And these five things have made it a particularly tough week. And I want to talk quickly with each of you guys about these five things, because I know they were surprising, heartbreaking, sad, anger, some, all kinds of things. None of these five things were positive and good. And that sucks. Okay. First of all, we'll have to dip back a little further. Of course, the passing of Shad Gaspard was, It was heartbreaking, especially when you read uh, the accounts that said that in the last moment of his life, he asked the the lifeguards to save his son first before he died. Mm -hmm. Heartbreaking. Guys, takeaways quick. Yeah, that that was uh, sad to hear. But uh, like many are saying, he went out a hero just uh, doing that, like telling the lifeguard to save his son first. True. And? It was heartbreaking, yet heroic at the same time. Rest Mm -hmm. easy. Shad Gaspard, and may God bless the family and each and every individual that Shad touched while he was here. Yeah, very sad. Next part, and we're going to go deeper into this one in in our um, in our hot topic this way: uh, the passing of uh, Hannah Kimura, mm-hmm. uh, a tragic example of what cyberbullying and the dangers of these sort of things. Here we have a 22-year-old girl appearing on a um, a reality show, a wrestler. 22 years old, successful, plays a character on a reality show. And anyone will tell you in the world, reality shows are probably the least reality in the world. She was handed a script, told to act a bit of a villain in situations and to carry on. Uh, it resulted in the last couple of weeks before her death of continuous, uh, continuous criticism, heavy criticisms of her personally and attacks against her, including a report I had read where she had been interviewed by an AEW source are people in America asking, the question had been about, it, would she join AEW? And she had said she politely declined because she wanted to stay in stardom, which started a whole slew of AWA pro fans writing her, calling her a piece of garbage and telling her to kill herself. Mm-hmm. Adding on to the train of people who hated her from the reality show and were writing pretty much the same thing. As a result, uh, Miss Kimura committed suicide as of last weekend, 22 years of age, heartbreaking. I was almost going to read the suicide note, but it's just too painful. I can't, I can't take it. It's, 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 it was really sad. And it all, you can see a person who felt what people were telling her she was. That's a hard 
guys. Yeah. We'll talk more about this one in the, in the hot topic, but that's number two. Number three, uh, we're going to step out of wrestling for a second because this is everywhere in the news. Number three, a woman walking her dog in New York comes across a, uh, a black man who was bird watching. He politely asks the lady to, uh, to leash her dog because the area of the park is where the dogs damage the things and upset beard watchers who want to watch this. She turns around, starts getting mad at him. He pulls out his phone to record this. As she pulls out the phone, she starts yelling at him to turn it off. When he says no, she says she's going to phone the police and tell her, them that a black man is accosting her in the park. Ooh. And we see it all. And we see the fakeness of her talking and acting like she's in distress and all of this all captured right there film and uh boy you know as there's so many people are going to say okay this woman got fired she got her dog taken away justice in some thing has been served maybe maybe a little justice to her but it's very very troubling especially as a, somebody who has a child like i do to let my son know that this kind of stuff happens in the world um to see something like this was like a very dramatic, bad movie. And I could not believe what I was seeing. And the implications here of how much this probably happens in the United States. Um, I know, I know Aunt, me and Elio, we don't see it as much. You know, we don't get as much, because let's face it, our, our population is one-tenth the size of your guys' population. And I'm, I'm not saying these incidents don't probably happen, but we haven't seen it as much. And for me to see that was completely shocking. But then to hear from um, members of the black community in the US that this is a, a, a real fear that a black man could have just by walking the street. And to see that illustrated like that, what had to happen if there had been a cop around the corner? I would like to say maybe that police officer would have come around and defuse the situation. But then that leads into the fourth thing that I saw this weekend that really disturbed me. And you know where I'm going with this one, Ant. I do. I know where you're going as well, because I as well. Now, Ant, you posted on your page. Let's give a really quick, uh, a quick break what you saw and what, you, what, what everyone saw in that video. Um, so in the, <clears throat> in the video, uh, there is a uh, Minnesota police that are mm -hmm. uh, detaining a gentleman. And the method in which they detained him was rather excessive. The knee was in his back and he was, you know, ensuring witnesses that he was using, funny enough, mixed martial arts tactics. But there apparently was a guy that was recording the footage suggesting that he was too excessive with the approach. As a result, the gentleman died. Now here's what, to, here's what the tragic part for me about this all act is, is we saw the, from, say from the incident to the first one we just talked about, uh, a woman claiming something like this. Um, what exactly, I don't know if there are two questions here. I said this to my wife today. I mean, on one hand, is the police trained that, did they legitimately think this guy was a threat? Did they legitimately feel like they had to subdue him in such a manner that was dangerous? Or is there just this underlying racism there where white officers feel that because he's a black man, he's much more dangerous, no matter what he's done. Because the guy apparently in the, in the uh, fourth incident here uh, was accused of forgery. Yeah. There was no talk of drugs, guns, violence, anything like this. Mm -hmm. And yet the excessive force was enough to take this man's life. But I also read that he said he wasn't even res resisting arrest. 
Right. So, but here just feeds into that whole thing. Mm -hmm. What if a police officer had been around the corner with the first event? Mm -hmm. Would he have, let's face it, all through history shown us, and I've looked back, you know, incidents like this, the white woman is taken more seriously, boom, like that. The black man's taken down, boom, questions later. Shoot first, ask questions later, sort of yep. opinion. And while we always feel that kind of weird racism and those weird kind of ideas floating out there, to see it thrown at us like this is just a reminder of how too real it is. Stuff like this really brings my week down. It makes me sad. It makes me sad for, for a lot of things and a lot of people. So yeah, that was a tough. And then the fifth one, the fifth one, I don't even know what to say after all these things happen. To the fifth one involves Jimmy Fallon. Oh, um, being accused of being a racist because of a comedy bit he did where he portrayed Chris Rock. Now I looked at the thing and I, I in my head I was like, is this racist? Because I don't see it. And yet a lot of black actors have been coming out saying, hey, there is nothing wrong with this. This was a comedy bit done as a comedy routine. He wasn't making fun of anyone. He was imitating a person. You know, Jamie Foxx said, hey, we, I did a show called In Living Color where we portrayed all races for the fun part, not for to be stereotypical racist. So the weird part of all of this, the weird part is all these people up in arms about this while the other two incidents seemed all of a sudden to be slowly being de-emphasized while this ridiculous non-story is coming to the forefront. Makes me shake my head, man. No, no, I, I think I, I, I think uh, if if he didn't think that Chris Rock would be okay with it, I don't think he would have done it. Okay. And um, what do you think of this this last thing, the Jimmy Fallon story? So with the last matter, um, Chris Rock himself came forward and stated that he didn't have a problem with it. He was aware of if and if I understood correctly, he was actually aware of the skit before it took place, but. Even after the fact, Chris Walk had uh, vehemently expressed that he had no issue with it at all. And so it's one of those things where, you know, you have to be careful with what you do. Because I remember the movie uh, Tropical Thunder with Robert Downey Jr. that, you know, sparked some controversy as well because he did blackface. But in this instance where if Chris Rock doesn't see a problem with it and if Fallon has, you know, uh, uh, accounted for it and you know apologize mm -hmm. for those that were offended in the process then why you know is this still a discussion at this point it's already been forgiven there's an understanding between the two involved and even going back to what jamie fox said you know we you know spoofed and, and make you know imitated all races so why is there an issue yeah for me uh why is there an issue at this exact moment with all these racially charged things happening right Raider. now, why, why all of a sudden is this unearthed and thrown around? Yeah. I'm not the biggest conspiracy guy. Most times I laugh at conspiracies. I think they're ridiculous. Mm -hmm. This one just can't help me but think that there's a little more at play here for deflections of something going on. And, and all I can say is this has been a super hard week about these sort of things. A lot of death, a lot of tragedy. Makes you stop and think. And I really hope these things make people stop and think. Think about racism. Think about cyberbullying. Think just the sad things that happen in life. Yeah. And unfortunately, you know what? We're stuck at home, a lot of us. We got mm -hmm. not much else to do but watch these <laughs> terrible things unfold around us. But uh, we're going to even deep, <laughs> dig a little deeper here. We're going to talk about uh, our hot topic of the week, all right? Okay. Our hot, our hot topic of the week, of course, 
for those of you who saw the posting of it, has to do with Hannah Kimura and the situation. Now, I didn't want to really touch on her herself or whatnot, but what I did want to touch on was uh, the whole thing about cyberbullying. And we're going to take a quick minute here and talk about that, each of us, and, and see people's uh, reactions and thoughts about this. Now, my whole idea here is how far of how far can we go and how much rights do you have as an individual to air i don't know your disappointments your anger your grievances towards another human being i know i've been to many wrestling shows many indie wrestling shows and i have heard people normal people who you would meet on the street and say hey hello hey see you at the wrestling tonight and i've heard them chant somebody's death at a wrestling matches I've heard them wish horrible things on people. I've heard, I've seen them scream in their faces and call them pieces of garbage and crap. Some people will tell you it's part of the show. Some people say the villain knows he's winning when he has people wishing his death. But how far should we go with this? Where is the line where we stop? And that's what I want to discuss because here we had a situation of a woman who was a wrestler who got continuous beratement from a whole slew of fans because they were mad at her character. That none of them, None of what she was portrayed was her, yet people took it upon themselves to call her a worthless piece of garbage who didn't deserve to be on this earth and berated her enough that she actually started to feel it and committed suicide. So how far can we go with this though? And I'm gonna start with you, buddy. How far can you go if you are the person who pays the money for the product? How far can you go with the criticism towards an individual or can you? What is your opinion? Um, me, as one who has been a consumer of a variety of things from wrestling shows to mixed martial arts to uh, uh, live entertainment in the form of music. Um, if I don't care for something, me personally, you know, I may discuss it with my friends, may mention something on social media, but, you know, there's a way that you can express your contempt towards something and still be respectful at the same time. One, because it takes courage for someone to go out and perform in front of an abundance of people. Uh, and unfortunately, there are consumers out here who feel as though their dollars give them access to be rude, disrespectful, belligerent, and, 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 and just say and do anything that they want and think that they should suffer no repercussions of it. You know, a prime example was the issue with a ring of honor with a, uh, Bubba Ray Dudley and I want to say Velvet Sky and then the fan that you know yes excessive yeah, with his yeah. trolling and he had to be escorted to the back I don't know there's a sense of self-entitlement that that takes things in directions that they shouldn't go so people need to understand that yes your money does pay for you to have access to a product but what it doesn't do is give you the right to be disrespectful or or, or Mm -hmm. uh, threaten death upon those individuals just because they didn't perform the way you wanted them to. Okay. Elio? Yeah, same as what Anne said. Like, I, whether for me, whether it's wrestling or movies, if I don't like something, I'll just, uh, if it's a movie or wrestling, I'll just change the channel or I'll go on, I'll just make a comment about it, like how I didn't like it, but I wouldn't go as far as to, like, tell the performers in the, in the, show to you know like kill themselves or yeah. mm -hmm. okay well you know what first of all um there's two really quick little things we should talk about right here that i want to discuss really quickly about this first of all canadians 
A lot of Canadians like to claim that they have freedom of speech. You don't. It's not in our constitution. So don't use that bullshit excuse to shit on others. It's not there. Okay. And Americans, you do have the right freedom of speech, but it isn't the same thing. It doesn't mean you can shit on people yourself. Your freedom of speech only goes so far as when it hits another person and infringes on their freedom. You can say what you want about a person until it comes to the point that you start to hurt or affect another person, then it becomes hate. And that's not covered in your constitution. So let's get that crap out of the way. Just because you pay money does not give you the right to impinge on a person. I have no problems with you going to see a movie, a wrestling show, a concert and saying, man, Metallica sucked today. That was a horrible concert. Man, John Moxley, he was a shitty wrestler tonight. Man, that movie really sucked. I wish I hadn't paid for it. That was crap. Whoever wrote that, that was crap. That was bad writing. Mm-hmm. I don't have a problem with that. Because in each one of those incidences, you're not saying that the person themselves, you're not attacking a person. John Moxley is not John Moxley. John Moxley is a wrestler, a man who pretends to be a character called John Moxley. And if you don't like the way John Moxley wrestles or you don't like the way Mia Jax wrestles, you can say they're twat. You can say they're shitty wrestlers, whatever. But what you can't do is turn around and say that person is shitty or that person is horrible or that person has no talent. There's a big difference there. Now, I looked in some of the comments that we had. Uh, Adam Monet put in, there is an absolute irrefutable difference between unrelenting bullying and being critical of a character on TV. Hannah Kimura was basically attacked. As fans, we have a voice and have a right to formulate and voice our opinions. What you don't have the right to do is be a piece of shit bully and project your insecurities on others. Yeah, I very much agree with that. Um, so do you have some more comments here? Uh, yeah, there's another one with Shannon Bill. That depends. He says, that depends. I'm not a fan of Nine Tracks, so I'll happily tell that useless about what I think. Right. You know what? Uh, he has all the right to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nia Jax has a bad performance that night. Well, she is just like any other performer. She has to face sometimes when she has a bad night that somebody will say, you know what, Nia Jax, I don't think you're a good wrestler. Fine. Doesn't mean Nia Jax, you're a horrible person. Doesn't mean Nia Jax, you're an untalented piece of shit. It doesn't mean Nia Jax, you don't deserve to live in this world. No, it means that this person thinks that you're not a good wrestler. But you know what? They've seen you one time. Maybe tomorrow you're a great wrestler, but maybe tonight you weren't a good wrestler. I get that. That's your right, fans. That's your right to be able to say stuff like that. It's your right, if you pay your money, to tell somebody that their performance isn't good. It isn't great that night. All right, let's look over here at, uh, let's see. I had one more very long comment. Where was uh, that, I think it's at the very bottom because the next three is, are just like someone put up two links to the story. Okay, so uh, here we go. I'm going to just be really quickly with this one, okay? okay. Uh, Claire McFadden wrote, be honest, give feedback in good, in the feedback at this work on this format. Be polite and courteous. They're saying, basically, um, look at a person as a, and, and I, <laughs> this is the dream. This is the dream that we could all be like this. So you could see something and that you could critically go up. Uh, you see Ant fight in his first UFC battle. <laughs> And you can go up to Ant, and I can say, Ant, I didn't think you did very good in there. Because, well, just keep talking, Elio. It might happen sooner than you think. (laughs) I'll get out my referee boots, boys. Um, 
Claire's whole message very long, but it basically says, you know, it would be great, wouldn't it, if, if, if in this example, that if I went up to Aunt and said, Aunt, I think you did terrible today, and then gave real reasons why, you know, the way you kept slipping your guard, the way you kept uh, lollying over here. With real consider criticism can make things better. People are not going to get better at what they do if they don't have any criticism. Any UFC fighter will tell you when they go out there fight, they still need the guy. They need, still need their corner, their coaches and whatnot to say, hey, man, you're dropping your foot too much. You're doing this too much. Because you can't get any better if somebody doesn't give you some guidance along the way. It'd be great to think we're all natural fighters. We all can't be Mike Tyson and just go out, bang, knock someone's head off and win, right? It takes a lot of right. work. You know, uh, Tiger Woods. You better believe he's super talented, but you better believe he has coaches who tell him, you got to work on this. You know, uh, there's race car drivers who spend uh, so much time in a thing by themselves. They will tell you it's all more. It's a community that builds a fighter, a performer, a wrestler, an actor. And you have as a, as a fan, you have every right to be able to give your criticism when you pay for it. You know, you, you pay to watch the thing. I have the right to tell at that, I don't think he's a good fighter. Doesn't mean I don't think, I'm not an expert enough to be, to tell him that he's not going to be a better fighter down the road. And hopefully in his heart, Ant doesn't take the one guy saying that he doesn't think he's a good fighter to like, oh, I should go hang myself because one guy said this. But that is a bit different than if I started following Ant everywhere. He kept sending him notes, crawling across the floor, telling him he sucks in public, yelling at him, keep berating him. Like, I mean, what is the point of that? You know, there's fans that say, oh, well, I paid money. Why not? But really, what is the point? What do you expect out of that? Because if you think it through, basically what you, in your heart you're doing is you're trying to hurt somebody. And that's not criticizing. When you sit there and berate someone and constantly do that, you're not really caring about making that person better. You're not trying to be more positive or anything. You're trying to tear someone down. And why? Well, I think you got to look in your own messed up head to figure that one out. Because yeah. I can't help you with that, fans. <laughs> If you're that yeah. kind of person, you're that kind of troll who thinks it's yeah. so much better to hurt somebody that makes you feel better, I'm sorry. They're not the bad ones. You're the fucked up one in the head, and you're the one that should look for help. I know that very well because, yeah, uh, because um, readers of the site, I used to write for, used to do that to me every week when I was doing my raw reports. With a lot mm -hmm. of stuff they used to write. Like I, before, before I started there, I never, I'd never seen that anywhere else. So when I got mm -hmm. there, I'm like, wait, what's going on? with all these comments and stuff. So a couple of weeks, I didn't want to show up. Well, you know what? The bottom line is this, fans, I guess, you know, you have the right to be critical. You have the right to demand better. You have the right to ask for better. You have the right to point out failings. But you don't have the right to bully. You don't have the right to, to hurt people's feelings to make yourself feel better. And if any of this, you're the fan who's listening to any of this, and I like to think our fans here don't exercise that sort of thing, but I like those fans who think it, that they do this even as a joke to stop for a minute and think of what jokes mean. Because as much as you may joke around about something, it always has an grain of truth. If it makes you laugh, then there's something about that hateful part that you kind of like. And that's maybe something you should adjust. Now let's not get too much more heavy here, guys. Let's get into some wrestling now. Uh, thank you guys. That was a tough topic, tough week, but I think it's something that had to be said. You know, it's, it's, it's a cyber. Definitely. Yeah, cyberbullying is ridiculous, and, and it's something that's out there. I've, I've been seeing it on Twitter a lot. 
I'm like, yeah. grown up people acting like children with name calling and stuff. I'm like, yeah. wow. <laughs> Who shitty children acts like that? <laughs> That's what I want to know. <laughs> acting like monsters, really. Catch yeah. my son talking like that, he's going to be going to bed with a sore butt, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> All right. Let's talk some about the AWA, uh, AWA, I always want to say AEW, AEW uh, pay-per-view this weekend. Okay, double or nothing. Now, wow, I'm going to say this right off the bat, guys. This was a very fun pay-per-view overall. It had a great feel to it, had some incredible look, and a hell of a lot of cameras. Yep. Uh, I do believe in the main event, they made a joke about having 20 cameras, and the guy came on the mic set and said, we only have 18. <laughs> <laughs> so let's quickly go over the double or nothing pay-per-view. Okay, oh, yeah. Elio, you've got your notes in hand. I do have the whatnot. table here. All right, let's start off with the opening pre-show match. Uh, guys, private party against the best friends. Uh, thoughts on this match real quick. Um, Ant, oh, Ant, we'll give it to Ant on the first one. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, it, was, it, it didn't give me the pace that I wanted in the beginning. It really took a while to establish the expected pace, if you will, something that was quick considering the two teams and the role that best friends have been on. But overall, it turned out to be a good match, and it was, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a fun – it was a good way to start things out. All right. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it was an okay match. I still think private party need to get back on track uh, because uh, we haven't seen them – Mm-hmm. In in the ring, like in a, in a while. So, but for me, it was just an okay match. Um, I thought it was uh, okay to better. I uh, hate to say it, starting to like Chucky e. T a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And oh. at the end, <laughs> at the end, yeah. and at the end, did it hint at maybe a best friends turn a bit of a bad guy turn coming? Because they uh, ended the match when they didn't have to. They uh, got a little brutal there at the very end. They did. All right, what were our picks on this match? Ellie? All right, so TJ, TJ went with Private Party. Ant and I picked the best friends. Good shot, guys. Good shot. I, like I said, I really thought the Private Party needed it more. I still think they did need it more. But uh, good on the best friends. They really did put on a better performance. All right, next match. Next match, we have the Casino Ladder Match. Casino ladder match. Uh, only thing to note out of this one is our good friend uh, Ray Phoenix. We talked about that horrible uh, flop dive he did. Mm-hmm. Hurt himself enough that he wasn't in this. Uh, who was he replaced by? Did they say, or did they just say the mystery guest? Uh, no, Joey Janela. Joey Janela, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was uh, surprised with who won this film. Yeah, well, yeah, kind of. When you came out, were you surprised? No. <laughs> but the surprise guess, I mean, it's the best way to introduce somebody into the yeah. thing, really. Fans, what we're talking about is Brian Cage comes out, uh, introduced as the surprise new guy. And, of course, at the end, pulls off the superhuman effort yeah. and wins the match. Mm-hmm. Elio, what did you think of this? Uh, yeah, like I just said, uh, it, was, uh, it was a good way to introduce Brian Cage. Uh, didn't really care for Taz, but I guess uh, that's an okay pair, whatever. Okay. So, yeah, for me, it was a good match. Ant, anything stuck out? Um, I think the match as a whole played to everybody's strengths and weaknesses, whether it was uh, Janetta's frantic pace or Orange Cassidy's slothfulness, um, you know, SCU coming together as a team, you know, to try to, I guess, eliminate as much, well, not eliminate, but, you know, stifle mm-hmm. as much people as possible. And then even Brian Cage's power. I think it did an excellent job playing to everybody's strong suits. And, you know, I, I was very surprised, and I actually like how it played out. 
yeah, it was an okay match. You know, uh, sometimes a lot of these, I'm not a big fan of uh, the whole gauntlet style thing mm-hmm. like this in a small event. I love Royal Rumble, but this, mm, um, and, and I don't mean this event, but I mean the whole yeah. gauntlet thing. Understood. I thought this was okay. Um, I liked how everyone turned on Cage to take him out. And then yeah. how he becomes like the Hulk or something and rips off all that crap, comes out and wins the match. Um, have my problems though, that they're throwing him right out there with Moxley really quick. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, do we have picks to, uh, for this? Yeah, we, we all lost. So this will be our pick, Derby <laughs> Allen. Well, let's face it, guys. We didn't even know Brian Cage was in the match, so I'm not really <laughs> sure we can say this was any kind of. I'm pretty sure if we knew Brian Cage was there, we would have picked him. I would have. Would you, Ant? Sorry. I'm sorry. What was the question in again? If you had known Brian Cage was going to be the surprise guy, would you have still picked oh, uh, Derby Allen? No, no, no. I, I think I would have went with Cage. Yeah, you would have had to. I mean, he's the yeah. big, obviously, star debut who needs it. By the way, I want to give weird props to uh, Darby Allen going up the top of that 20-foot ladder and trying to do that skateboard yes. drop. Oh, crap. <laughs> you would have killed the guy if he did. Right, yeah. Jesus, man. <laughs> All right. Okay. Next match. The next match, this was the one that surprised me because I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. MGF versus Jungle Boy. MGF defeating Jungle Boy. Okay, first off, what a good match. Yeah, really yeah. Well, a lot of false well finishes. Yep. Yeah, this was some really good old school type wrestling. Um, I liked it. Uh, I guess you can, yeah, I liked it. That's all I'm going to say. And? I liked it too. Uh, as Elio said, the uh, false finishes, the pace of the match. I like how, you know, Jungle Boy was actually there to compete, and he did just that. And I think, you know, even though he lost, he still went over in the process. So. Yeah. And Elio, anything to say on and, uh, it? And no, I, I guess you just said you said you said you liked. Okay, uh, more yeah, picks. More. Uh, we all uh, picked them, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, I guess you had to make more. Yeah. Made the more sense, eh? Okay. N- next match. All right. Next match for the TNT Championship: Cody defeating Lance Archer. Okay. I gotta admit, I did not think this was gonna be as good as it was. Uh, mildly surprised. Uh, I thought it was a strong match. It actually, Cody winning did not actually kill Lance Archer like I thought it might. Ant? I agree with you, actually. Um, you know, thinking, going into it, it was one of those things where, okay, now that Cody wins, what happens with Lance Archer next? But Lance Archer was, walked away still with some intrigue. You know, he's he hasn't been, I guess, uh, uh, buried, if you will, as a result of this loss. So, heads off to Cody and Lance. Good match. All right, so. Um... You got to, re- okay, sorry. This uh, this was a pretty good match. Uh, actually, um, it was brought to my attention uh, the, earlier this week about a theory about uh, why they put the belt on Cody. Okay, really quick. What's that and theory? If you remember, when he faced Chris Jericho for the AEW Championship, Jericho put that stipulation in that if Cody didn't win, he doesn't get another championship match. Right. So I guess this uh, puts a championship belt on him without uh, without ruining that stipulation. Okay. Seems a little weak. Yeah, I, I, well, I, I don't know. I like I had forgotten about that stipulation, anyways. I mean, there's other ways they could have done that. They yeah. could have just done a three way match and had like you know Cody pin so and so, and then yeah. you know what I mean. Like there's other ways around it. It, it wasn't as bad as I thought it'd be. Like uh, Lance Archer, I still think looks good. Okay, I gotta say the Mike Tyson thing was a bit a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, uh, he is this—he is still a tough man, but he acts like such a goof when. Yeah, he was acting more like a cheerleader. 
You know, he was so weird. He well, the same as back in the day in WrestleManias and stuff. He would act like a teenage kid hopping around. It's hard to take him seriously, and then he knocks your head off. But I mean, yep. his his acting is is atrocious. Okay, and as they might say on their show, probably a little egregious. All right. I've supported it. <laughs> All right. Uh, what were our picks? Okay, so for this, TJ went with Cody. Yeah. And I, as, as did Ant and I, went with Lance Archer. Boo, boys. <laughs> <laughs> I, think we're, I think we're about tied now on our picks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, next match, next match. Uh, so, okay, next match, we had Chris Stellander defeating Penelope Ford, who was sub, subbing for Burt Baker. Okay. Um, sad about Britt Baker being injured. Uh, what a horrible time to have her taken out. What a, yep. She's just been on such a great role. Yes. Um, oh, Chris Statlander. Statlander looked good. This whole match, they were a little sloppy, mm-hmm. I'd like to say. And uh, I still don't – Penelope Ford's a very beautiful young lady. Mm-hmm. Okay, She's a great addition to the wrestling tights or whatever you want to see out there. But she's not a good wrestler. And I think it was illustrated here. And I and I really hated how they kept cover trying to cover up for her on the um, on the commentary by saying her back was hurt, so that's why she's moving a little slower. No, mm. she moves that slow usually, and Chris just slowed down for her. <laughs> and <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned the slow movement because you would think with Statlander being the bigger wrestler of the two, mm-hmm. she would be the slower yeah, uh, uh, of the bunch. But no, that wasn't the case. I mean, Statlander, you know, with her power. Um, she has speed to accompany it. And with Penelope Ford, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, she's not a full-time wrestler, as is the case with a Statlander or, or mm-hmm. Hikaru Shima. She's a tweener. She's a wrestler slash manager. But it is still evident that uh, Ford needs some work. Okay. Uh, Elio? Okay. And uh, <laughs> I guess uh, we can't really see anything because all three of us are people Baker. Oh, sorry, say that again. I, I, in my side, you froze out, so I don't know uh, if you picked it up. But I said I don't think we can really say anything to all three of us. Pick Britt Baker. <laughs> How about yeah, that? This, well, one thing when you change one of the opponents, it's got to change the whole thing of the match. I was just curious what we had picked if anyone had picked Statlander, but uh, no, we all picked Baker. Okay, next match. Okay, next match was uh, Dustin Rhodes defeating Sean Spears. Uh, was this really a match or just a, a very long angle? You know what? Uh, I didn't really hmm. care for this one. No, it, it was ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I didn't think much of this. Ed? Um, I guess for me, it would have been cool for Spears to win on the strength of him needing wins. And, you know, you seem to have hinted that you finally established a direction for him with this whole Sean Spears network thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for him, for that to be followed with a loss, it now takes me back to that question of, okay, what's going to become of Sean Spears? Okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, I, I, saw, I saw in, in like the fake entrance uh, mm-hmm. at the beginning. Okay. What did you think? Did you like this match, Elio? No. No? Okay. What was your what was our picks? Okay, we, we all picked Sean Spears. <laughs> What's going on? Wow. Okay, next. <laughs> Rough night, boys. Okay, Rough night. <laughs> okay, the next match we had Hikarushi defeating Nyla Rose for the AEW Women's Championship. Okay. Uh I liked Rose I like um Akira coming out here with that very serious, different look. Um, gonna say, um, she was one of those girls who I always found attractive, but I thought her wrestling gear was odd, awfully strange. 
but wow, I kind of like what she's wearing now. Really, I don't know. It's not all that different, but it's enough that it's like, wow. And uh, I really like it. She took the battle to to Nyla Rose. And uh, I didn't think, I don't think I picked her to the win. I'll find out here. But uh, I don't think any of us really picked her to win. But uh, wow, she did win this in a very commanding performance. Uh, your, your thoughts, Ant? I like that uh, she'd have flipped the switch the way she did. She knew that, you know, she was going in against a monster and she had to dig deep and pull out a side of her that, you know, many fans didn't think existed. I enjoyed it. Um, I, I like Nyla and what she contributed as a monster, but it was nice to see someone with a belt where you don't have to question her in-ring ability mm-hmm. night in and night out. At least, you know, you'll get consistency with Sheeta. So congratulations. So, and I also believe that in a sense that it was an ode or, or, or a tribute of sorts to uh, Hannah as well, considering everything that happened with you mm. know, suicide. No, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Interesting. All right, Elliot. Yeah, this was a good match. I, like um, like we both saw said, uh, I, w- I wasn't expecting uh, Shida to win, but I really enjoyed this match. Okay. I, I kind of want one thing I want to throw out really quickly. I wish uh, Shida would change. I'm not really a big fan of her opening video. The whole coin thing and terminator looking i don't know i, I oh, okay. it doesn't resonate for me the big the video trauma. yeah the big thing on the video trauma she comes yeah. out she looks like a bunch of coins put together <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. I, I, i'm not a fan of that and i don't know why i mean maybe it doesn't bother you guys but something about it just doesn't sit right best with me maybe maybe it's something that there isn't a direct connection between that image and Sheeta in her gimmick if yeah you know, like what's the connection yeah, exactly. And so it kind of lost on me. Yeah. Uh, what were our picks on this one, uh, Elio? Okay, so TJ went with Takeru Shida, and uh, Ed and I both picked Nyla Rose. <laughs> wow. wow. My hate of Nyla Rose's before terrible wrestling. <laughs> Over with. Nice. <laughs> Usually I play the guy. Oh, I'm very surprised. I thought I was going to play the other way yeah. on that one. Okay. <laughs> All right, next match? Uh, next, we had Sean Marksley defeating Brody Lee. Okay. Uh, surprisingly good match thought it went a little long when it's continuous brawling like that it's hard to stay interested when it's continuously long and, and brawling some crazy things in there like you never realize how big john moxley really is i mean he used to be around roman reigns so he doesn't seem like he was big but then you see him in there and he's a pretty big dude okay um he wrestles a really unrelenting style he bites wow how when the last time you seen a good guy biting someone on the head um <laughs> At this day of age, do you want to bite someone? Anyways, uh, gonna say though, Moxley for me has finally reached in my head, and I, I hadn't been there yet. He's finally reached the yeah, he's the legitimate big tough badass champion. Uh, good performance. I actually thought Brody Lee came off better than he has in a long time because we finally got to see him do some sustained wrestling. Um, overall, good match. Not a main event, I don't think. I don't think it was exciting enough to have been the last match on a card, but it was good. And um, like you said, you actually saw some substantial or yeah, some substantial wrestling from Brody Lee. Uh, I thought the two came together and put on a rather physical and and, and, and violent match. Uh, we had some false finishes with it. I um, I just flat out enjoyed it. Thought it was good. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you like you said, uh, Moxley has established himself as a guy who can carry the company. All right. You, uh, yep. I, I enjoyed this match as well. Um, it's like, okay, it's one of those matches where it feels like it's going long, but when I went to look at the length of, of the next match, 
on the on this card, that was went really long. Oh yeah, but I mean, still, did it feel long to you? Yeah, when this match was going yeah, on? like it's it's one of those matches where it feels like it's longer than it actually was. I, th- I think this match would have been a little bit better had there been fans, a lot of fans there. But I, I think this was a good match. I'm, okay. I really like John Moxley. All right. And uh, what were our picks? And we all picked John Moxley. <laughs> and I got to say, they did a great job of utilizing not only the ring, but its surroundings, you know, with the double or nothing uh, props of the chips and things mm-hmm. of that nature and the barricades. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And now, now I guess this comes to the main event. And, and main event, is, uh, the stadium stampede. This match was fun. I really enjoyed this one. You really enjoyed this match? Okay. At, yeah. Go ahead. You go so ahead this me. was an absolute spectacle. And uh, I enjoyed it. I mean, with Cole, uh, I'm sorry, Cole, uh, with Adam Page and, you know, him riding mm-hmm. in on the horse and, you know, the ridiculousness of the, uh, bridge suplexes from one end zone to the other. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, the, the, you know, uh, locking Santana into the uh, uh, the ice box. If you were Matt Hardy getting revenge for that, I thought I really enjoyed the match. The one thing that stuck out to me that concerned me, and I guess it depends on when this took place. I'm inclined to believe that this event took place live, whereas others have said it was pre-recorded. Now, if it was live, I do think that AEW was reckless with that whole pool scene and then even having Matt Hardy's body floating in the water for a few seconds to suggest he's dead, especially considering what happened to Shad Gaspard. If that was live, then right. that was rather reckless on their part and they need to be more careful with some of the... Or tasteless. Know, or tasteless. Yeah, or tasteless, <laughs> yeah. And be careful with some of the things that they want to project in their spectacles. But okay. otherwise, I enjoyed the match. Although, right. I, although I was confused about why they needed that ring there when they, it was never used. Except it was used. It was. It was no, used more than the, just the only, beginning. only in the beginning. That's it. it was used in two segments. Yep. Two of the segments. Go back. Yeah. Oh, okay. There was, a, there was in the ring, and then there was a, lot, a whole bunch of lot, and then they were in the ring again for a little bit, and then... Um, okay. This is where I become the poobah of everything, because... uh Uh-oh. Poobah for me, guys. I'm sorry. Um, oh, okay. And I'm going to explain why. <laughs> All right. I'm going to explain why. I love action movies, but I cringe when I watch an action movie and see somebody do a, an actual wrestling move because I know that's it's wrestling moves don't really work like that. You can't really suplex a guy in a fight. Um, the problem with this for me is there are parts of it. Yeah, in bits and pieces, there were parts of it like, that's kind of cool, or that's different, or wow. But overall... I've grown up all my life being a wrestling fan and having to excuse the fact that it's two guys in tights pretending to fight. And when it gets turned into such a weird spectacle of, of drones and swimming pools and bar tables and uh, people getting locked in chests and, oh, love the guy who gets dunked in the water and then pops up and he's a different character in different clothes and then gets dunked again and comes up in a different clothes. Um, as much as I want to like that, I can't. I'm sorry, as a wrestling fan, good on people. If this is the kind of thing that brings people, more people on the product, okay, fine. But for me, cringed at a lot of it because um, it reminds me of indie stuff, but done on a great stage. If you've ever gone to indie shows, sometimes you'll see stuff that it's done for the crowd to laugh at at that point. Mm -hmm. But you know, if it went on TV, people would be like, this is amateur bullshit. All right. This is the opposite. This is high grade uh, acting uh, out stuff that wouldn't work with real audience. Do you think that, you think they could have staged that if there had been people in the audience to watch this? 
There's no way. You knew this was like a movie. I mean, how many takes did it get to get the uh, whatever things, you know? And I couldn't get that past that in my mind. I could not get past that. So for me, the whole thing was like, I, I will say they shot it in a way that was beautiful. 18 cameras, that sure in the hell made it look like it didn't look sloppy. It didn't look haphazard. It looked better than uh, WWE when they do those kind of things. <laughs> but in the very end, just like as when we tried to pick a winner, it was for me, who the fuck cares? Because this isn't wrestling. Yeah. To me, this is an interlude of fun. Okay, for sure. Okay. It was a very long fun. So much fun that I got sick of it after about 34 minutes. minutes. Oh, yeah. I was about to say, it was in the neighborhood of 40 minutes. So for me, uh, you know what? I have no problems with anyone who thinks they like this. I have no problems if you say you guys like it. that. That's your taste. That's cool. That's your POV. For me, I get the fact that I'm more, uh, I rather watch more wrestling than sometimes spectacle. So for me, it, it didn't work. Um, but as we get into AEW report this week, we're going to find that some of the ramifications of it are pretty funny and it fed into some stories. So that's good. But okay. overall, uh, I wish that hadn't been the main event for me. Uh, of this entire card, uh, I'm going to say the best match was the women's title match. Uh, I really enjoyed that. And I think that would have been much more uh, spectacle way to have a champion win on a cool match. Uh, overall, guys, though, I would say this whole thing, um, it was a pretty good thing. It was a good pay-per-view. Okay. Hold on, no, for, for our pick, so you didn't pick. Do you guys, yeah, do you guys really care who picked this? No, I mean, you, on, you didn't pick anyone, and uh, <laughs> I, picked, I picked in a circle and, and went opposite of me. So that's it. <laughs> so overall, guys, was, was this pay-per-view worth watching? Indeed. I would say so. And for me, for match of the night, it's a toss-up between the women's title match and MJF and Jungle Boy. Yeah. Good picks, good picks. And you, Elio? Yeah, this was a fun pay-per-view to watch. And like like Ann said, uh, those two matches are, it's between those two matches for me as well. Especially okay. the MGF. I wasn't expecting that to be the match that it was. All right. Well, fans, you know what? We're going to take a really quick break here when we get back. Uh, during this break, actually, we're going to cut over to part one of a two-part interview we've done. You're going to hear about uh, 20 minutes with Andy Anderson, the lone wolf Andy Anderson, a wrestler who well-traveled across Puerto Rico, the U.S., and other places. Uh, it's a fun time talking with a, a really – he's still active. And uh, let's cut to that. When we get back, we're going to talk a little MLW and go right into tonight's Dino Mike. Eat that, Miguel. Hey, Global fans. This is your host, the legend T. James Logan. In our ongoing series of looking at uh, wrestlers all across the world, today we're talking with a wrestler I know who is a – well, I'm going to say almost legend in Western Canada because this man has had a long and illustrious career. He could sit down and probably, if we had the opportunity, I'm sure we could sit here for hours and talk all kinds of wrestling. But today we're only going to get a little bit of a snip for uh, what's come later on down the road. I'm talking about the lone wolf, Andy Anderson. Andy, first of all, welcome to the show. Thank, thank you for having me. I appreciate you uh, taking the interest, having me on the show. Thank you. Well, you know what? I'm the one who's thanking you because uh, I've known you for many years. And as the years go on, you're getting more and more stories and more and more interesting things. And you've always been a guy who's always just delivered in the ring. So that is a that is the mark of a, of a, a true professional. So it, it was kind of I'm, I'm glad to have this opportunity where we could sit down and get to get my fans at least to know a little bit about Andy Anderson. Now, first of all, Andy, how long have you been wrestling? Uh, what are we at? We're shoot i think it's about 23 years now 90 this week no we're in 2020 so 96 april 96 is when i broke in i started training so you came up in 24 
Yeah, 24 years. Yeah. Wow. And now, what got you into wrestling? That's the question I always ask people. What made you fall in love with wrestling enough that you thought, yep, I'm going to get in there and get my head kicked in and then start kicking others? <laughs> uh, for me, like a lot of the diehards, especially goes way back. Uh, I was five years old. One of my uncles, you know, I come originally from Winnipeg. So uh, for me, growing up initially was the AWA. And so whatever, Saturday nights, I think 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock p.m., CKND. Um, that's where, if, you know, I would watch. And if I was at my, uh, uh, my grandma's place, because my uncle was, was, you know, was younger at the time, and that's what he would watch. So that's what I would get to see. So uh, the Nick Bockwinkel, Baron Von Raschke, Sheik Adnan Al-Casey, Ken Patera, Jerry Blackwell, uh, you know, the list of guys there, that's like the early, early 80s. That was kind of my, my initial hook. Uh, about five years old and uh, as time went on you know then you had to pick up a bit more and then as you learn to read then that's where the wrestling magazines were the big thing so the whole whatever they call them the Bill Apter wrestling magazines the pro wrestling illustrated inside wrestling I still literally have like bins full I call them the history books and you know basically from like the mid 80s into the early 90s uh, with that and then Eventually, when WWF became the global powerhouse, you kind of pick up on that and snowballs and snowballs. So it's it's been been probably one of the biggest constants in my life since yeah since early childhood. So then, how does a young boy go from Winnipeg, from watching wrestling to actually becoming a wrestler? How did that happen? Well, this story would probably be a lot different than especially anybody like nowadays. Uh, back then, I mean, this was still, the, the internet was in its infancy. It was still the World Wide Web. Um, there wasn't a lot going on. The funny thing for me was we moved from Winnipeg to Edmonton in uh, March 1986. And fast forward nine, ten, whatever, however many years, uh, to about 95, 96. And I was going to the University of Alberta and had access to the computer labs there. So that's where I was getting on this World Wide Web, um, following whatever I could with wrestling. And uh, first, it was actually, it was Mark Merrow that I got in touch with. And it just, it was, however, that Mark Merrow was one of the early people that was on, you know, consistently online and talking to fans. And so I emailed him saying, hey, I'm this guy up in Canada. I'm interested in wrestling. What do you suggest? You know, look for the advice. Uh, he actually gave me the number for Dean Malenko because Dean Malenko was running the school at the time. So I contacted Dean Malenko and spoke with him. And he was down somewhere in Florida. And uh, whatever it was, it was like several thousand dollars. And you, know, you came down there, you trained full time. And being a university student, still living at home, the money thing was, especially the US dollars, um, seemed like a bit of a stretch. So I kind of had to see, like, where else could I, could I look? And I wasn't familiar, too familiar with, like, the Heart Dungeon and everybody there. I mean, I got followed Stampede. And, you know, I'd go to the shows on a regular basis. And there was the program that, you know, at the back, that if you want to become a wrestler. Um, but still, I wasn't sure about that. Somehow, uh, I found some wrestling in, something about wrestling in Winnipeg. And I got, uh, got in contact with one Vern May. And uh, that was from there, kind of discussions with him. And because I had found Winnipeg, I ended up moving back to Winnipeg 
and I started training with Vern May, but many may know better as Mr. Vance Nevada, Mr. Beefy Goodness. Uh, so along with him, uh, Robbie Royce, those are kind of two of the main guys that were kind of kind of helping me there. And then there were some other guys there. Um, um, oh shoot, I'm trying to think of his work name now. I'm thinking like like real names. Uh, Yogi Donovan. Uh, Adam Knight. There we go. Uh, and so the few other guys, those were guys that were around. And that was where the training kind of started taking place. And after about a month, uh, I, you know, was in my first match, Battle Royal and that type of thing. And, you know, the stories pick up from there. Well, you know, that's kind of ironic you brought up uh, Vance Nevada because uh, we actually just interviewed him about uh, three hours earlier before this interview. We ah. sat down for a half hour with Vance Nevada. So uh, well, you guys will be coming out. Same. <laughs> so you know what so okay so you, you got your training in winnipeg you obviously start wrestling in the winnipeg area but you didn't stay there you uh you went out uh some other big places so let's talk about some of those places all right well i'm just as i was then as i am now um unfortunately whether whether it's edmonton whether it's winnipeg whether it's calgary wherever to me it's like if you want to make it you need to get out of canada you need to go somewhere else and by somewhere else, it's either you need to go to the States, to Japan, to Mexico, somewhere where you, you know, you can get, you're working more than once a week or sorry, like once a month or twice a month or whatever. You need a more consistent schedule um, and where you can uh, face a lot of the, the similar caliber talent that's looking to get to that next level. Uh, I made it very clear to, to Vance when I started, I said, hey, I want to get down to the States sooner or later because I know this is where you know, things happen. Um, I know he and I, let's see, so I broke in in April. I want to say, I think in August of 96, he and I went down for a couple weeks, um, down to, sorry, down to the States. We went down through like to Tennessee, uh, I think like West Virginia, um arkansas missouri and around there and we had a we had a couple of dates booked but everything else was kind of just show up and hey you know we're two guys we're here we'll work each other we'll work as a team we'll do whatever you want and uh we'll we'll do what we can we just we just want to you know get some exposure get some work and if you can pay us some gas money a little bit extra that would be great and, and that's what we did for for the couple of weeks and my my 12th or my 13th match we actually showed up uh in memphis tennessee the uswa which was running which was jerry jerry lawler's promotion uh showed up for tv there on a saturday morning and they put me in a match with brian christopher who at the time was I think, the southern champion so it was like a non-title match and uh like wolfie d was there jamie dundee uh Brian, Brian Armstrong, Jesse James was there. Sid Vicious was there at the time. Uh, when I first broke in, I was given the name JT Atlas. And they were talking about it kind of, the backstage area was basically like the lunchroom. And so we were all kind of there. And I, I forget how, whatever it was that Sid Vicious, somehow I was like, yeah, like, it doesn't sound quite right. It's, it's like, you need to be uh, like JT Atlas the third. And <laughs> for whatever reason, and so that's what it ended up being. And I think on the match, that's what they announced me as was JT Alice the third. <laughs> I don't know what the first two did, but but uh, the funny thing with that was, as they did to that point, I'd only like I was obviously still ridiculously green, 
and I'd only been a babyface at that point, and, and Brian was a Brian was a babyface, so they're like telling me to be a heel, and I'm I still wasn't comfortable, didn't really you know know about how I was going to work as a heel, so that didn't happen too much when they're like it's kind of like great, go be a heel, shove me out the door, you know, shove me through the curtains, and we went the match the match went, was fine. Uh, the only kind of glitch you got to keep in mind so 1996. Uh, we still had to have like a full lucha invasion, so you know there wasn't a lot of like flips and stuff going on. Like a, a Frankenstein off the top rope, that was like a big deal, like a moonsault, big deal. And uh, somewhere in preparing the match, I think I said to Brian, like, "Hey, like I'll do a moonsault." I just, you know, like like most people, especially new guys, new girls, like, "Yeah, okay, I want to do a big move to try and get noticed." And it's like, so I'm like, "Yeah, I'll do this moonsault," and he's like, "You can do that." I was like, well, "Yeah, of course." <laughs> And, and prior to that, I think, like, on the road, I had practiced it, like, in the pool, like, a bunch of times. So that was, that was it. I don't think, I think maybe one or two days before, I think I once or twice I practiced it. No crash pads, just before a show from the ring, like, landing, not on my feet, like, just taking the bump. And uh, I was like, yeah, no, we'll do it. And so I did it in the match. And I want to say maybe this was the first time that, it was a match that Brian ever had somebody do a moonsault, whether they hit it or missed. Because in it, he, uh, instead of like rolling inwards, he sat up. And so I hit part, we made contact. I wasn't like, I don't remember it being like disastrously bad or anything, but we made contact. And uh, whatever, we still got up, I think super kicking, finished the match. And, and afterwards, he actually apologized to me, saying like, hey, like I totally, you know, like I screwed that up. Sorry about that. And so whatever. So it was, you know, that was a neat experience. So that, that was kind of the highlight of that trip. But uh, I got noticed enough by a few people. One in particular was, was Bert Prentice, who was running uh, Music City Wrestling, MCW, out of Nashville. And they were together with uh, the USWA. And so he's like, hey, like, you know, if you want to come back, you know, you're, you're welcome to come back kind of thing. And uh, so that's, so Vance and I went down, I think it was for the two weeks. Went back and then uh, came back to Canada. And then I think I, I went back in October for about a month. Kind of like mid-October, mid-November. I think it was like right around to like their Thanksgiving. And, uh, and I worked like just wherever I could, uh, you know, like kind of uh, the Music City Wrestling had a few few shows going on. And, and then between guys like him and Bart Sawyer and Brickhouse Brown, uh, that would kind of take a bit of a liking to me as well. This is to me. This was one of the things that I think helped me was, you know, besides, you know, I was a greenhorn, but I was a nice guy. I kept my mouth shut, kept my ears open. I wanted to learn, wanted to work and, uh, you know, respectful, all the, all the, the good stuff. And, you know, it, it, I believe it helped kind of pay off in that regards. And so that, so I was there for the month and then came back and then, that was basically the end of like 96 and then, you know, we can get it to 97, but that was just, that was kind of the tip of the iceberg mm -hmm. kind of get in the door. And uh, yeah, so it was, you know, positive, positive stuff all around. I'm sure if you, if you ask Vance, you, mm -hmm. if you talk to him again, because he remembers better than I do. Cause there was something where we had gone to, we had gone to a show at the Louisville gardens in Louisville, Kentucky. It was a USWA show. And I vaguely remember this, but he, he's got the story down pretty good about how, I don't know if we were there and we didn't, we were supposed to get on and we didn't, or there was, there was something, 
but I'm, I'm a very, you know, I like to, I'm very cool, calm, easygoing kind of guy, but I got upset. I got worked up about something and I went down there and I, whatever, I was like saying my piece to somebody and that got us, I don't know if that's what got us booked or that's what kind of got us for the, the TV thing, whatever, but somehow it helped get us booked. <laughs> And Vance is a very good storyteller, so to hear him tell it, it's 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 a better story than than you know, and I couldn't do it any justice. But now I was I was curious because he told me to ask you something about a ghost story in Oklahoma, perhaps. But <laughs> uh, Arkansas, 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 uh, um, Arkansas. Oh, I don't know where was it that he was from. Anyways, okay, so. Uh, there was an interesting group of characters. There were some veterans. I mean, uh, if I remember correctly, it was like Bill Dundee, um, superstar Bill Dundee, Bart Sawyer. Uh, those were a couple of top guys that were at least around when we were, when we were there. Um, I want to say there was a guy named Frank Parker. There, there was like the, the veterans, and then there was some of the guys, I don't know if I just say like it's the locals, but they were <laughs> some characters. And, you know, for kind of like the, the Tennessee, Arkansas, Missouri, Mississippi, there's characters. Um, there is one, one guy, there was a tag team, I think they're called the, the Bone Crushers. And one of them, and they, they're kind of like, the, the, it was funny because like, I would like to think if, if I told you like, okay, Bone Crushers, like what do you envision? Like big dudes, big crushing mean leather dudes. Yeah. And so, these guys were, were taller, bigger, but I mean, they looked more like they could have been part of like, you know, the hillbilly gym family. Cause they had like the long hair and the, the, the beard before, like we all, before the beards kind of came like this. And, um, they have the Southern accent so they can kind of talk like this. And I'm not making fun of it because I, I, Tennessee is my, probably my favorite place in the world. So I'm not making it so it's clear. I, but I mean, you know, the accent and, and there's Bone Crusher Teddy, and I forget what the other one was. But anyways, this Bone Crusher Teddy, there, there was, I, I can't remember, see, you know, you might have to go back to Vance on this, but the gist of the story was there was something that we were, we were staying in a hotel, or he was staying in a hotel, and there's something about, like, the phone ringing, and him picking up, and he's like, hello, hello, and he, there's no answer there. It's like, he couldn't figure out what it was, and he's like, he's telling us the story, and it's just, it was just, the, the punchline, which this sucks for my storytelling, the punchline though is like, he's like, I don't know. It's like, he says, I picked up the phone and it's like, there was nobody there. I was like, hello, hello, there was nobody there. I think it was a ghost. And it just, you know, we were dying laughing. And obviously, 24 years later, at least to two guys from Canada, this is still a lasting memory. So, Bone Crusher Teddy, if anybody knows Bone Crusher Teddy from Music City Wrestling, 1996, 97, you know, his memory lives on. <laughs> well, that's great. Now, um, we're going to jump around here. Uh, you had some experience in all kinds of places all across the U.S. You had a little bit of uh, stuff in WWF, I think it was. And, and, uh, but I want to actually get into... A, a WWF, WWE... <laughs> Um, yeah, Japan, Mexico, Puerto Rico, England, I don't know, you... Name the place, eh? <laughs> Almost. 
Well, I'm very fascinated. And you know what? And this is me being greedy. And this is why being a host of a show uh, gets you your own personal poll, because I've always wanted to talk to you about Puerto Rico myself. So, and I know the fans enjoy stories about Puerto Rico. So tell us a bit about your time in Puerto Rico. My time in Puerto Rico. All right. Well, um, let's, we'll start, let's start May 1998. Um, I think the date was May 18th, 1998. If you go, if you're a subscriber or know someone who's a subscriber to the WWE Network and you go on Monday Night Raw episodes, and whatever it is, like that third week in May. So I, I think it's like May 18th, 98. Um, I was in Nashville at the time. I So May 98. Based on stuff that had happened from these previous stories, uh, I kind of moved to Nashville for about six months uh, in March 1998. And I was there till almost the end of August 1998. Uh, Awesome. Like the stories and that experience in there itself was awesome. But uh, anyways, this day in May, um, I had the opportunity to go backstage. They were doing Monday Night Raw was uh, filming there. And on this past weekend, through a uh, somebody that I had met, like a, another wrestler that I became friends with, um, what's his work name? Chad Casey. Chad Casey, I think he lives in Michigan. Uh, great guy, super nice guy. Um, I felt like Donald Trump there. Great guy, super nice guy, <laughs> wonderful guy. Uh, <laughs> um, anyways, somehow, uh, and he knew a gentleman by the name of Victor Quinones. So if you know, you know the name Victor Quinones, uh, you can know him from Japan, from like uh, FMW, IWA, Japan, a lot of the hardcore deathmatch stuff. Uh, he was also a, you know, a uh, boss of Puerto Rico. Uh, WWF around 1998, they were doing their Super Astros program, which is kind of their uh, Latin lucha program. And so he was part of that. So I had met him uh, through Chad that past, that weekend. And they were like, well, come to Raw, you know, who knows what we can what can happen? Um, so that episode of Raw, I ended up being a security guard, an extra. I was a security guard that uh, had an altercation with one Stone Cold Steve Austin, and I'm, I think to me this was a very special, very special for a couple of reasons. Not just because hey, I was just an extra trip to Canada was you know Steve Austin. Uh, I got beat up by Steve Austin, but did not receive a stunner. And I was ongoing throughout the episode, throughout the episode, uh, as they would go back with myself and police officers because we were trying to track down uh, Steve Austin because he wasn't supposed to be allowed in the building, so I was supposed to keep him out. One guy keeping him out, of course. <laughs> uh, but basically, it was like we were going to press charges. So I had several segments throughout the episode. So that's where I kind of take pride because you know most guys that are extras, you do your one and done. So it's like here's like I got my butt kicked. Plus I had. I think in total there's like four or five segments that I was on through the entire episode of Raw. Wow. Um, so that was cool. Anyways, uh, Victor was the one that kind of set that up. But I mean, you see the look, it's not too far off from what I have now. I mean, I had the buzz cut and the goatee and stuff. So maybe I looked like a security guard, whatever. Um, but uh, anyways, uh, basically I was 
built a relationship with, with Victor. I had met uh, Savio Vega, Miguel Perez, the Briquas that were there, because these guys were all obviously from Puerto Rico, and this was part of, part of their thing. Um, the last kind of thing was there was, you know, when you were done in the States, if you needed help, you need help getting books somewhere else, contact me, I'll see what we can do. Uh, they were talking about plans for Puerto Rico in the future, because at that time, it was just uh, WWC, World Wrestling Council, Carlos Colon's pro promotion, which is still running. Uh, and has a lot of history on its own. So that was May, and I was, like I said, I did my Tennessee kind of southern states run. Uh, by mid end of August, it was time to go because I may not have had proper paperwork. For <laughs> being, so I had to make sure I got back. And uh, so when I had driven down there, I had my own vehicle and everything. And um, so as I was getting ready to leave, I think I called Victor, let him know, say like, hey, like I've got, uh, I'm heading back to, to Canada. If there's anything you could do to help me out, that would be great. Uh, I left Nashville. I drove, because I was going to Winnipeg before I came back to Edmonton. So I drove two nights to get back to Winnipeg. By the time I got back to Winnipeg, um, there was a message at my grandma's, because she's kind of my my point, my home, home base there. Um, and it was like, you know, there's a Victor Quinones call for you. You're supposed to call him because I mean, this is like uh, I had a cell phone at the time, but it was like emergency use. It was like a big block one, but like you know, nothing like we have now because that's you know, 20 some odd years ago. Uh, call Victor. He's like, hey, you, know, you want an opportunity to go to Mexico? Absolutely. So October, November '98, uh, I was based out of Monterey, Mexico, and this is a very long way of getting to, to Puerto Rico, but this is just kind of mm -hmm. it's coming. Um, I did two months, a two-month stint there as uh, El Lobo Blanco, the White Wolf. So we can get back to that. Um, when I when I was finished there, uh, I was going back to come back home to Edmonton, and Victor's like, "Hey, do you want to come and do you know come to Puerto Rico for a few weeks, do some shows here?" So obviously, uh, and I went, but I worked for WWC, so that was for Carlos Colon promotion. Uh, so that's where, for the first time, I met Shane the Glamour Boy, Ricky Santana, Fidel Sierra, Brett Sanders, uh, guys that would become part of like my Puerto Rico family uh, down the road with with IWA. Um, did the shows there? They were great. Uh, I worked a bunch of guys. Worked in tag matches, single matches. Uh, I got to work with uh, the Invader, who may or may not have killed Bruiser Brody. Uh, my thing with that. Or part of the tag match, and I literally remember being in the ring, standing across from him, getting ready to lock up, thinking, you know, this is the guy that, mm, here we go. <laughs> you know, and then business as usual, but there's just that kind of, that thing. Um, so that kind of ended 98. By 90, early part of 99, I went back to Mexico for a couple months, and then some point there, I think I did way didn't start until was it fall of '99, summer or fall? I think because I still had a trip to Japan before I got to Puerto Rico. But uh, IWA Puerto Rico was what Victor was building, so it was like Victor and Savio. Like I said Victor and Savio were kind of two of the, the main guys. Uh, There's another gentleman involved, Hector Moyano. Um, I think he's trying to give everybody the props. Um, but the, those were kind of like the the main players behind the scenes, and uh, so what. 
when we started I, the uh, IWA Puerto Rico, when they were starting it, um, what they did was they filmed, which was approximately 10 weeks of TV to show it weekly before we started really doing any house shows. So that way it had exposure instead of just going, okay, you know, we're going to start a promotion. Here we go. It was, uh, we did our 10 weeks of TV. They had, uh, they were able to bring in some of the WWF talent because obviously the connection with Victor and Savio and being associated. Uh, so we have that. My, one of the things for me that was really great there, and again, maybe, you know, I still say I was a green horde, especially green for Puerto Rico, was that uh, Ricky Santana, Fidel Sierra, a few of those guys kind of jumped from WWC to IWA to be a part of it. And so being the, you know, one of the young guys, uh, I drove with them all the time, and I drove. And I love it. I like to drive anyways, so that was fine. But it was, okay, kid, you're going to learn where all the buildings are. You're going to learn the roads. You're like, which was, to me, totally invaluable because as time went on, you know, I was able to play a more you know, prominent role, helpful role uh, for any new talent that would come in, whether it was guys that were going to be sticking around or if it was WWE guys, hey, you know, Andy's the guy that's looking after you. I didn't, I didn't know any Spanish. Prior to coming to there, I started learning Spanish in Mexico and in Puerto Rico. And I picked up a lot of that just for survival. Hey, folks, we're back. Uh, that's part one of this interview. We're going to have part two coming up in a few minutes after our next segment here. Uh, did you know that if you're listening to Global, that there are two other shows that are in our network? There's uh, WPOV Wrestling. It is a wrestling show that covers all WWE stuff except for WWE UK. Lately, they've been infringing on our territories and doing a little bit of AEW coverage. But the four of them over there, they're a hoot, they're a riot. Check them out. Over here, you have us on Global, which always features me and Elio. Sometimes that who gets a little overwhelmed because that sucker's got his own third show. He's, that's right, he's got another show on this network. So we're thankful that he takes the time to join us when he can. We have, of course, Ant Deliberated here, but Ant also has a show, the MMA show, that runs also weekly. And man, that is starting to become a really fun show that I'm enjoying very much. Well, uh, and, appreciate it. Uh, why don't you tell people where they can find all these shows and tell us a tiny bit about MMA. So MMA POV podcast is a show where myself and my co-host Deontay touches on all things mixed martial arts that takes place inside of the cage as well as things outside of the cage. It, along with Wrestling POV Podcast, and the flagship show, and WPOV Global, can be heard on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, and Podbean. Excellent. And you know what, fans, if you want to write into us and hear any, you know, make any comments, uh, have us discuss topics, anything you want, Elio, tell the good people all the uh, media stuff that they can write to. So you can reach us on Facebook at Wrestling POV Podcast, Instagram at Wrestling POV One, and Twitter, Wrestling POV. All right. Well, you know what? Uh, as, as less and less companies are showing shows right now, anything in the new, we're having less to report about. Right now, AEW is the only show that we regularly cover that has new footage going on. Uh, we have, however, taken a little quick peek at MLW's anthology series. This week, covering uh, the Southern Psychopath, Mance Warner. Um, I'm going to say right off the bat that Mance is a guy who comes from the hardcore stuff, and it's not exactly what I like about Mance. So... I was a little disappointed in the two matches they showed because they're this typical hardcore outings. Once against Sammy Callahan, the second against uh, mm. uh, Jimmy Havoc. And yeah. uh, both bloody, disgusting, yeah. some funny parts, but not what we enjoy the most about Vance 
Yes, I, as I told you off air, I couldn't uh, relive that uh, Jimmy Havoc Man's yeah. Warner one the second time. Once was what, I'm dis- what I'm disappointed in is that people put Anthology together. I wish they'd really had put just one of those hardcore matches and mm-hmm. then put one of Mance's funner matches or two smaller Mance funner matches to get... Because the pe- reason people love them isn't for that hardcore garbage. That's sort of, that's sort of an extra part. It's I miss seeing him pulling that knee pad up and down. Yeah, you know, I miss him talking about that. They should have shown us a few vignettes where he explained his uh, with the his whiteboard. Attacks. Yeah, with the whiteboard and stuff like that. Um, however, in the anthology, they like to also send us a little bit of a teaser of what's going on out there, and uh, on you know in the MML the M- the MLW world. And there are so many you know, if, folks. If you knew over the years how many different three-letter acronyms I've had to talk about in wrestling, you'd understand why I stumble on these. But uh, uh, what they did there is they recently, they, you know, they do a bunch of little clips of sh- kind of showing you what's going on around MLW while things aren't going on <laughs> right now, you know, to move storylines. A whole bunch of nonsense as per usual as you expect, but two quick things that popped out of me. One, uh, indicating that Injustice has a fourth member coming. Mm-hmm. They're going to be debuting soon. Someone that is joining them. That'll okay. be interesting to see. Second, low-key trying to be uh, low-bridged out of uh, professional wrestling by Dan Lambert, who uh, filing an unsafe work environment <laughs> lawsuit, <laughs> claiming that low-key uh, has made it an unsafe... I, I don't know, guys. I know people... This is one of the most used cliches in wrestling. It, it drives me nuts when the bad guy tries to legally put someone out of wrestling because they were hit yet these are the guys who use chairs on everybody and you know there's just no logic in it but drives me crazy but at least it makes it interesting and keeps low-key in the in the spotlight fans next week anthology will be about low-key and i'm hoping that they're going to show us some of the older matches and not the newer matches so i can see a little bit more of stuff i hadn't seen with low-key although the one part i really couldn't stand was that hammerstone and our holiday uh, going back and forth about who signed the the self-masturbation thing pretty much as they're jerking each other off (laughs) each other how great they are they're going to get new contracts give me a break My God. When did did Holiday grow a mustache? I don't know. He looked like a really bad fat porn star in there. I think he, uh, he better, if he's going to be isolated, exercise, buddy, and get rid of the stash. It doesn't work on you. Uh, All right. Let's get into AEW Dynamite. Dynamite! You know what? Interesting show this week. And I know that sounds like a lame old thing to say, but when I do say interesting, it's just sort of like, you know, when I watched last week's NXT versus AEW, uh, I get, I liked how NXT only won because the matches were good, but overall the presentation sucks. It's boring and mm-hmm. stale when I watch NXT. Okay. But the matches are a little bit better. At least they were last week. But this week I find that AEW is like, once again, a bit of a breath of fresh air in the presentation. Yes. Okay. Doesn't mean it's a better package. Doesn't mean that the wrestling's better, but it did mean it have a feeling to it. And I wish the WWE would look at recording with people in it because their style that they've been doing lately. Okay. They're only just squeaking by when they, you know, and it's sort of funny because I sometimes think the guys over at uh, WPOV are a little biased towards it. Cause it seems like they dismiss NXT or they're not seeing the funny stuff we see. I'm not sure when I hear their report, it seems to differ quite a bit from our report. Mm-hmm. So we must have very different tastes in wrestling <laughs> from show to show, 
But uh, okay, I'm going to quickly go over through some of the things, and we're just going to give it a quick yeah, nah, blend, whatever. Okay. Yes. Now, if I can interject real quick, yeah. this Monday's Raw did have NXT wrestlers in the audience with uh, plexiglass behind them, and then they kind of took a subtle, they took a shot at AEW by saying we're social distancing the right way. Really? Yeah. And yet, and yet they hadn't tested any of their guys on like AEW. How about that? Every single week. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Let's get into this. Uh, Going to say the opening segment with the inner circle sitting around moaning and, and complaining. Uh, when I saw the truck there, I knew that were where that was headed, but still laughed pretty hard when they had the collective t-shirts. That was funny. Um, let's go into uh, Young Bucks and Matt Hardy versus Private Party and uh, Joey Janela. Uh, things that stuck in my head here, first of all, really quick. Did not, what do you think of that stupid stuff in the beginning? Oh, Matt, do you have to be this Matt Hardy? Yeah. <laughs> the camera pans I, off. I, I Boom, he's the different that. one. Boom, he's the next one. I'm not sure. Part of me kind of liked it. Part of me didn't. So it's kind of got me in the middle, guys. Uh, we get to the match. He actually, you know what? This is the most impressed of Matt Hardy I've been in a long time. He mm. held himself really well in this match. Uh, things that I thought were pretty interesting. Uh, I thought he did well. I thought poor Butcher and the Blade getting uh, pumped out once again oh. in the audience. Um, in the end, uh, Private Party and uh, Bad oh Joy Janella, what the heck kind of hairdo is that? Joey? <laughs> <All right>. I, <laughs> what the hell, man? Uh, I know you're missing Penelope Ford, but you got to dress like her now. <laughs> you look like okay. Um, I thought this was an okay match, not great, but okay. I thought uh, Matt to Hardy looked great. Uh, Ant? Um, I, I think it was a good way to start. I mean, it wasn't a match of the year candidate, but it was a good way to start. And I did enjoy the brief rub that the Butcher and Blade got during the match when they assaulted uh, the Young Bucks mm -hmm. as a result of the okay. miscued super kick. But then, you know, mm -hmm. things went in another direction. But I guess we'll touch on it when we get yeah. there. But I will say this, in the opening of the match, JR did have a rebuttal to Raw's attempt at social distancing by suggesting, hey, well, at least our guys aren't behind plexiglass, and at least we do test our guys before show starts, or something along those lines. But yeah. he did have a rebuttal for Raw, so that was nice. JR, for everyone who makes fun of him, he manages to throw some really funny stuff in here. He also oh, threw, the, he also threw a, a funny line uh, later on in the show. Okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> yep. Now... Of course, what you were referring to at the, the pre-match beatdown, yeah. uh, uh, Butch and the Blade get in there and attack the Young Bucks. But then, out of nowhere, comes FTR, the guys you used to know as the Revival. Mm -hmm. That was exciting. Yeah, that was exciting. It was. Um, makes me, though, wonder how small the Young Bucks and Butch and the Blade really are, because for the first time, the Revival didn't look like really small dudes. Right. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, sure. WWE, yeah. a lot of times they looked rather small. <laughs> they came in there and looked like average sized guys. So it makes you wonder how small are the young bucks? Yeah. Oh, sorry, the, the bucks of youth. But <laughs> the bucks of youth. <laughs> um, exciting to see. Uh, I had no doubt they were going to turn on Butcher and the Blade. Those, those guys can get no love anywhere. Really. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on, we. Uh, Okay, uh, we have Brian Cage just squishing some dude. Uh, Lee Johnson, again. Again. Um, hmm. Gonna have to say, I just wish they hadn't pushed Brian Cage so quickly into the main event because it's gonna take the shine off of somebody. And I don't know about you guys, but I've always seen Brian Cage as this massive guy with a tiny little head on his body. It freaks me out. His face is very small. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe it's just me. 
And Taz, and Taz with his uh, catchphrases from 1995. Oh, yeah, pulling out his own phrases to <laughs> yeah, use for him, which yeah. was like... <laughs> as soon as he said that catchphrase, I'm like, oh, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's not much to talk in this match because it was a squash. Was it an effective squash? Anton, did it actually do anything for him? Or... Um, for presentation purposes, I would say it because you're projecting, like, even though they are pushing Cage to the forefront rather soon and quick and early. But, you know, for the sake of projecting him as Moxley's next opponent, who's supposed to be, you know, this impossible machine and, you know, will Moxley be able to overcome it? Yeah, it served this purpose. Now, what I want to know is who, 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 who's, I guess, uh, water, if you will, did Lee Johnson urinate in? Because he is always the, the, I guess, squash doll, if you will, or the wrestling buddy for whoever debuts with AEW, whether it is Brody Lee, Lance Archer, or now Brian Cage. Like, what, what did he do to piss somebody off? You know, he did. <laughs> What's that? He didn't do anything. They love him. It's the same as Jack Stars. He was a guy who was never going to get anywhere, but he yeah. spent the first how much time getting killed in uh, UK till finally they get people saw him enough right. that they invested in him a little bit. Although, I mean, he, not, although he was impressive against Cassius in that one match. Okay, but 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 what we're talking about here is great on him that a guy could take a beating every week. Yes. There are wrestlers yep. who would like break their balls just to get on one episode of Raw. Yeah, get in multiple AEWs. Good for you, Lee Johnson. Yeah, you're a small and eventually, yeah. right? And eventually, we're going to see his rise. You know, that was just me being funny. We're eventually, no, no, but going to see you his are rise. right, though. But yeah, like yo, it's the guys who are beating next? a living snot out of him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's not like he's putting over some technical wrestler. Right. He's getting guys kicking his teeth in. <laughs> All right. Uh, next, we move to the brilliant uh, Brett Baker, showing us her third reason of how to be a role model. <laughs> Sorry, guys, I got a kick out of this. I thought it was pretty funny. So I, this, was, so did I. this was my highlight. And uh, when she turned around and said that Chris Statlander, that she was full of shit for calling herself <laughs> an alien, was awesome. <laughs> Just strip away someone's gimmick, like, right there. You're an alien. You're full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Baker, you're becoming the best villain in the yes. whole, whole uh, division. I really hope to God she's not out for long. I hope that the... Injury is minor, but I love how they played the injury. I love, and I love to. I, where is this going? That she's accusing uh, Aubrey Edwards, <laughs> the mastermind, <laughs> yeah. for taking her out. No, she said she's going to be back by all out. Okay, but I mean, where is this going with Aubrey? Unless, who knows? Maybe Aubrey Edwards is actually a trained wrestler too. Maybe this is a chance to get her in the ring. Hey, Quinn McKay. I, I just learned that Quinn McKay is as well. I want to see Quinn McKay in a wrestling uniform. Just saying. Uh, moving on. <laughs> now, wait, before we continue, yeah. I want to yeah. see Rick Baker's assistant Reba in any uniform, like the visual that comes yes. with any, yes. Rick yeah, who was that girl again? Her Reba. name is Reba. Wow. I, so I, she, I didn't know who she, she was. Say, yeah, she does have previous wrestling experience, but I must say the visuals of her are quite enjoyable. Keep them coming, Britt Baker. We thank you. We appreciate it. <laughs> wow, we got Anton <laughs> to get on the train. Thank <laughs> you, Everett. <laughs> All right. Um, moving on to Shida versus, uh, versus Christy James. Now, my first thought when I first seen that girl, she reminded me so much of that chick they just let loose from um, WWE, that Conti. Oh, Isn't that right, Conti? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it wasn't, but she sure wrestled the style, and she actually wrestled better, I thought, than Conti did. This girl mm. impressed me a lot. Yes. Mm -hmm. My first thought is, 
as weak as sometimes the AEW women's division is, they have a whole bunch of new girls who are coming up slowly that I think in next year, these girls could be the main event girls. We've seen these mm. girls who've been taking the beatings here have so much of a spark to them. I'm like, man, I want to see them next year, what they're going to be like. Again, I, I, I think someone at AEW is listening to our show because I even said last week, I want to see some of the women girls that they was on AEW Dark on the actual show. Well, that's happening. See, and, they're listening. Uh, and once again, Hikiro Shida, love the uniform. Great choice. Yeah, <laughs> um, indeed. It does a lot for her, actually. It, it feminizes her a lot more, but doesn't make her look by any means some kind of trashy-looking attitude era girl. Uh, right. Shida putting on a good thing. I liked how Shida, as the uh, face, went in and uh, took some of uh, James' moves, uh, let her get a little ways, and then snap. She had enough of her shit, and she slapped that bitch down hard. That's that's pretty much the story of this match. <laughs> yeah, <layout>. pretty much. <laughs> so uh, good match. Uh, I liked it. It, it uh, shows Sheeta as uh, as a champion mm-hmm. and somebody who's fair until you push her too far, because the girl started getting pretty damn snarky and snotty. So she kind of got it. Uh, t- the the the, to- uh, the Cody Rhodes interview. Yeah, it's Cody Rhodes. I mean, there wasn't anything great about it. it. Wasn't terrible. It was just there. It was just there. Uh, Kip Sabian and Jimmy Havoc taking <laughs> this did not like the the way this match progressed at the end. Thought it was a terrible way to, to, to screw over SCU. Why do they keep screwing over SCU, by the way? Two very talented. Do they want to break these guys up? Is that the thing? Because uh, they seem to talk about how they're great wrestlers without being a team. Well, I thought, I thought we were talking um, like a while back where when they were doing those uh, profile on Scorpio Sky. Yeah. That maybe he might want to break out. Mm-hmm. Possible. And not only that, but what I took from that too was we've already seen SCU against Omega and and, and Paige for the yeah. tag team belt. So maybe they just want to switch things up and then throw uh, Sabian and Havoc their way. Well, you know what? Uh, I know he's British Sabian, but man, get the dead weight from around his shoulders. Jimmy Havoc's not going to go anywhere with you except maybe get you hepatitis and a freaking barbed wire match. So find a better partner. Uh, <laughs> Uh, then we go to the big battle royal at the end. A um, little bit of a, a harbinger of doom there when MJF sort of in, uh, said to Wardlow, you know what to do if uh, we're the last two. Mm-hmm. And Wardlow got pretty pissed. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then what happens in the match? Well, we have this match where uh, a lot – okay, a battle royal. I like how Jim Ross said that, uh, you know, they're usually bowling shoe ugly. <laughs> which is true uh, one thing I'm going to throw out right here really quick before going further I've noticed in this week's episode and in the pay-per-view an all-star that we didn't talk about is Excalibur really was incredible both these nights I think Indeed, he really got in a lot of stuff he called Tony Schiavone on so many stupid things and then without making him look stupid corrected him mm-hmm. uh, there was a part where uh, in the Moxley uh, Brody Lee match when um, um Moxie had come behind Brody Lee and put him in a choke and then put him into the uh, rear naked choke. Right away, Tony's like, he's got him in the rear naked. And then he puts him in the rear naked. <laughs> and, another, you know? and like uh, Excalibur has a way of kind of pointing out a few things, but at the same time, not making Tony Schiavone look stupid. Look stupid while correcting him, right. But also coming across as very funny and in there. And I like that about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when Tony said the stupid thing when he went to suplex one of the guys, he's like, well, it is natural turf. And then Excalibur was like, so what's your point? <laughs> Which made sense because he just said the stupid thing and he didn't. 
elaborate on right. it. Just now, now, this is where I'm talking about Jim Ross. Yeah. Did you catch what he said? About? When he called them Jeff and Arrogant Richard? Yeah. And Arrogant Richard. Oh, and excuse me, I forgot to even mention this part. I'm uh, mentioning that Brody Lee doesn't like um, <laughs> yawning. Like, drop the fucking WWE crap, okay, guys? Just keep making him like he's Vince McMahon. It's not mm -hmm. working for anything. It's crap. It's yeah. stupid. Agreed. Okay? Agreed. Um, this match was pretty good. Uh, kind of surprised. I, I mean, I, I, it seems too soon, I think, though. Once mm. again, ru rushing through stuff. But I think the MJF punch and Wardlow thing was too soon. This is something that should happen three or four or five months down the road still. Mm. I think it's a throwaway to have the breakup so quickly, unless this is a small dissension to build later. Um, a lot of things in there. Uh, Billy Gunn. Did, I never really realized how big he was till he was towering over Luchasaurus. Yeah. Who towers over everybody else? You know what, Luchasaurus is becoming my uh, least favorite every week now. I'm going to say this, though. He finally went at Wardlow here. Finally. Oh, he, he stood toe-to-toe -to -toe and didn't look like such a pussy. So I, I enjoyed that this week about so Moxley and Billy Gunn have that common, granted, that they're deceptively big. Like, you yes. don't realize how big they are until sometime down the line. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely, uh, you know, good showing for him. Yeah. Uh, Luther, man. <laughs> if you don't watch Dark, I have no freaking clue who this guy is. No clue. <laughs> this big freaky dude who they threw out really quick. Um, I was hoping to see. I was hoping to see Austin Gun. I'm like, we could have done without Luther and went with Austin Gun. Yeah. Luther. Good call. Good call. I could have done without Billy Gun and went with the Sun, which would have made more sense too. Last time we saw Luther was in Nightmare Collective. Yeah. No, don't ever bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put myself in the book for that. Um, one thing I find very odd is poor Jim Ross. He never knows sometimes what to say. Um, I know he struggled around the whole Nyla Rose sexuality thing. Uh, but referring to Sonny Kiss as a woman constantly? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I know he's yeah. trying hard, but that's not working right. either. Sonny no, Kiss is not, not a woman. No. <laughs> she doesn't pretend to be a woman. Right. She definitely, he pretendly definitely to be an effeminate gay man. Yep. Yep. Calling him a woman is a woman is probably not what he'd want. <laughs> but you know, bless your soul, JR. You're still trying. Yeah, yeah he is. <laughs> you caught that too, man. As soon as I said that, you're I like, did. I was yeah, like, oh my gosh, wait, JR, what are you doing? <laughs> um okay, match. Uh you know what? Small, give me small doses of Orange Cassidy. He works in small doses mm -hmm. and yeah. getting him to do well, man, that move of his, that kind of uh what did JR called it a Superman punch, and then right away Excalibur was like, "Well, it was an elbow." <laughs> 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 which was pretty funny. Well, if it was a Superman-like elbow, <laughs> which was even funnier. <laughs> uh, but yet, when Cassidy pulls that off, he looks like a million bucks when he, he runs does. Off, just nails people with that stuff. Uh, still, kind of find it dumb that he feels he has to throw his hands in his pocket to do half of his moves, but. I enjoy this whole character. I'm starting to get it more now. Mm -hmm. Don't give me too much. Although I gotta admit, there was a tiny part of me hoping to see him against Cody would have been an interesting match. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I'm 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 satisfied with the result overall because yeah. you know it is something you know different, if you will. So he, whether it's Jungle Boy or Orange Cassidy, Cody has proven he can work with smaller guys. So I think yes. that, you know we're going to get a good match. Um, I was I was thinking Orange Cassidy too, just because of how over he is. I wasn't expecting Jungle Boy, but you know, yeah. nice surprise. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Jungle Boy taking the win. I I don't mm -hmm. mind that. I, yeah. I really kind of hoped it would be just as Cassidy's been really on a roll lately. Yeah. Uh, 
but yeah, I liked how that worked out. Um, obviously, there's some Orange Cassidy versus uh, Inner Circle stuff coming because that was going in. Yep. Okay, and then now we come to the final part of the show. Uh, and, I, and it's probably going to be a big ratings thing, bit of a schmoz, bit of some really – got to have a weird sense of humor, I think, sometimes to get some of uh, Chris Jericho's jokes. Yeah. Uh, because this whole inner circle, uh, pep rally, whatever it was, was odd. Uh, the idea of the gifts they gave each other were very strange. <laughs> um, Jack Hager reading a poem. <laughs> That, that progressively weird. got violent and scary yes. at the end. <laughs> so much so the other guys had to calm him down. Yeah. Um, but funny, because you know what? It was different than the same cliche crap we see constantly. So mm-hmm. I'm going to give him that, okay? Um, so I'm sure some of the jokes went over some people's heads and some of the stuff was a little too esoteric and weird from guys like me who enjoyed it and other people are going, I don't get it, Martha, what the hell? Right. Um, <laughs> but all ending up with Chris Jericho wishing for Mike Tyson's head on a platter. <laughs> because what's on a Monday night? <laughs> like how he said that on a yes, Monday night. On a Monday night. Uh, years ago, um, Mike Tyson turned on him. We knew Mike Tyson was in the back. Uh, they had been talking about how Mike Tyson was going to make an appearance, mm-hmm. which I kind of hate when they, they, they do it this way. Because then it, it, make, it cheapens the whole spontaneity of the spot. Indeed. Because if you knew he was going to be advertised on there, and the only time he comes out is when he's brought up in a conversation, that takes away the spontaneity and the realism. Mm-hmm. Now he comes out with a bunch of MMA guys and some other tough-looking dudes, and uh, right away, I got to say it once again: painful with Jericho trying to develop a repartee between them, and Tyson blowing his lines, jumping around like an idiot. And, and not coming off as believable. Yeah, he was playing like a guy pretending to be a wrestler. Not like a guy acting like a fight. Not like a guy acting like tough. He just came across as a character, a caricature. And thought that was ridiculous. But in the end, it looks like, I don't know how they're going to do it in what form, but we got some kind of collision of Chris Jericho and Mike Dyson in the near future. Guys, what do you think? Um, For me... As a mixed martial arts fan and wrestling fan, it was nice to have a cauldron of the two sports that I follow take place in this segment. Um, Mike Tyson's acting, as much as I, you know, enjoyed him as a, a boxing fan, watching him as a kid, but his acting, it it it, it needs some help. It does. Um, but it was enjoyable for me to see some of my favorite MMA fighters, Henry Cejudo, Rashad Evans, um, Vito Belfort made an appearance, so I don't know if it's going to be like a group effort where we're going to see that collision with Jericho and Mike Tyson or is it strictly going to be a one-on-one thing, but I'm interested in seeing where it goes. I really don't see how you do one-on-one with Mike Tyson and, and Chris Jericho. It's, it's, I, I, I get it. You know, just the fact that, first of all, uh, Tyson's not trained as a wrestler. Yep. Um, so is he going to be able to hold back? Uh Chris Jericho was quite a bit younger and Tyson is a bit older. I mean, I just don't see how logistically, unless they work some kind of storyline group thing into this, that this works. Or, yeah. or do or do something theatrical, you know what I mean, that will play to Mike okay. Tyson's, I guess, strong suits. But yeah. still, will he be able to pull back on Mike Tyson? No. <laughs> <laughs> will he know to hit Jericho and not hit him as he would in Evander yeah. Holyfield or Lennox Lewis? So he was really, and, str- he was really struggling to rip that AEW. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it did. <laughs> 
the last part, my wife watched this with me, and I had said to her, I said, wow, Mike Tyson's in really good shape for a guy his age. Yes. Then he blows it all, and she's like, well, he's struggling to rip that T-shirt off. <laughs> like, oh, shit, he is, too. <laughs> Especially when you see the training videos of him hitting the bags, you know yeah. what I mean, with full ferocity and speed, and then he's struggling to rip off a T-shirt. That was hilarious. <laughs> it was pretty bad. <laughs> all in all, I'm going to say this week's, um, this week's show was uh, fun. It was yeah, fun. Yeah. And it had enough oomph in it. Uh, I mean, the Mike Tyson thing, uh, Sheeta doing a tremendous stuff, Britt Baker. I'm going to say that I'm going to watch Reba. NXT, but I, I, yeah. <laughs> you go that, I'm going to go with Sheeta. But, um, right. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to say this is uh, I think NXT is going to have a bit, they had better put out a pretty damn good show today mm -hmm. for get my votes this week, guys. And uh, I know sometimes we get uh, a little lazy and we forget to throw our vote over there and then the guys automatically put AEW. So let's be honest this week. Let's watch it. Yes. And I'm going to honestly compare them and uh, we'll see We'll see what we get. But I have a feeling that NXT had better put up. But they're putting on a cage match or something tonight. So that yeah. might be hard to beat. Cage right. matches. Apparently, uh, yeah, apparently, like, Tim yeah. apparently Timothy Thatcher and uh, Matt Riddle. And Already? I yeah, oh, yeah, they really? broke their yeah, they broke their team up. Uh, I believe last week. I've been yeah. keeping up with NXT over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So their team officially broke up last week in the same episode they had yeah. a one-on-one match. And oh, then, I saw it, know, but I mean, what a throwaway to first of all to have already, the match up yeah. so quick. And the same right. episode was terrible. Yeah. And then to have a cage match only a week later. And then if I'm yeah, and then I think in this week's episode, Kurt Angle is the special guest referee or enforcer <laughs> of that cage match. Wow, things are going super correctly. speed over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do know this, guys. Um, Matt Riddle is actually going to be debuting over on SmackDown in the next week or two. So, oh, okay. So that's probably why they needed a, a dust off here. So, mm -hmm. still really fast. Wait, yeah. a little fast. Uh, I, it seems wrestling world things just happen too fast these days. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we talked about Wardlow and MJF. We, you know, like. Too fast. How do you develop right. stories? You you throw in, uh, uh, you throw in uh, what's his name there, um, Brian Cage against um, against John Moxley without any build. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One match doesn't make a build, especially if there's no crowd there to even <laughs> gauge it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. But all right. Well, I'm gonna say, guys, uh, I would give it if we were uh, scoring it. I'm gonna give this one a B plus today. Uh, and I agree. B plus. All right, Elio. B plus for me. Yep. All right. It's going to be an interesting thing. So, folks, we're going to take a quick uh, break away. We're going to play uh, the second part of our uh, interview with the lone wolf, Andy Anderson. We get back, me and I, I you, I, you still have to run off, uh, Ant, or you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, so I won't be able to stick around yeah. and finish out tonight. Well, I know you've got a, probably a pretty heavy, I noticed that a lot of MMA stuff. Is there something happening next week, right? Yeah, it's actually an event. It's actually an MMA event happening within three nights on this Saturday. And then we have a pay-per-view UFC 250 next Saturday on the 6th. So, yeah. Okay. The beat goes on. Are we going to be seeing you next week? Or is that um, heavy? Yeah. That so heavy, so but... those shows are on Saturday night. So unless any unforeseen circumstances take place, I'll be back next week. Excellent. Okay. So I basically got to learn the island. And Puerto Rico, if you're not familiar with Puerto Rico, I mean, it's an island southeast in, was it, I guess it's the Atlantic Ocean, I think, Caribbean Sea. Uh, you can drive around the whole island in about four hours or from end to end. So, uh, and there's mountains and there's little towns, but this was one of the, the things that was really good was being able to learn the lay of the land, where to go, where not to go, 
and then go pick up the language. Never mind the road, you know, anytime you can be on the road with veterans, and I, I know it's the same now as it was 15 years ago, 20 years ago, because I mean, times have changed, things have changed, but uh, you know, when you're riding with, with seasoned veterans that have been around and, and the veterans, you know, they've been NWA, they've been Japan, they've been Mexico, they've been around. It does, all you have to do is just, you know what, I'm not going to say shut up and listen, because this is one thing I had a discussion with somebody not too long. Actually, I think it was Michael Richard Blaze. As much as you're told to shut up and listen, you know, mouth, mouth shut, ears open, asking questions and asking good questions is always a good thing. I don't think anybody even to this day can fault you for doing that. And it was something I did, but not enough of, especially I just, in retrospect, uh, a lot of my time around WWE uh, in Japan and stuff where you're trying not to look too green or you're worried about looking like a mark and I hate the word mark. Um, but just, uh, use people in a positive way, but, but ask those questions, get the information, learn, 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 learn. Um, if there's one thing to take away from this, please, please. Cause that was something that, uh, I didn't do enough of. And, you know, depending on how many stories and how long we go into this, like the amount of people that I was around that, um, I sat under the learning tree, but I didn't, I could have learned so much more and had probably had more opportunity. So that's something that, yeah. But, uh, but anyways, so I did play Puerto Rico uh, around 1999. We did, uh, we filmed originally 10 weeks of TV. And then we started doing shows, I think it was like Fridays and Saturdays, uh, house shows. And the initial house shows, maybe 60, 100 people, um, which, you know, you're kind of like, eh. but again, this was a brand new promotion. The TV was still new. Everything was still new. And, and it was a slow build. But uh, uh, I was there from consistently from 1999 till about uh, 2003, sometime 2003. And at that time, uh, you know, we were sort of, I don't want, we weren't really an official developmental territory of WWE. But, but between Victor and Savio and Miguel and those guys, uh, you know, we had WWE talent that would come in. Guys were, you know, I, I got some dark matches. Shane the Glamour Boy got dark matches. Uh, Ricky Vanderas, uh, Apollo. You know, there, there was opportunities there. Um, but once we got going and as things picked up, you know, we were running four nights a week. We were doing Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sundays. We would do Saturday. Saturday nights was always like the big show of the week. We were doing TV every week. Uh, which, there was a point where we had two hours of TV on Saturday, two hours of TV on Sunday. So, yeah. And for a population of, I think the island at the time, there was like two million people. Uh, I think we had like about a quarter of the population that were watching. Wow. So, yeah. So it was, you know, in, it wasn't out of, out of out of the ordinary for the the Friday Saturday shows to have like on a weekly basis have anywhere from like one thousand to three thousand people, and like you know it was it was hot. It was a time um, WWE or WWF was hot. Uh, this had really built a good war between WWC and IWA. Uh, it was kind of WWC was sort of the 
NWA, WCW, classic. They were kind of old school. They were always, you know, they've been there for, for, you know, decades. IWA Puerto Rico was kind of like the, the attitude, attitude era, attitude era, WWF, WWE. And uh, so it was, you know, I want to say like fresher, edgier, a little bit more similar to WWF at the time. And so that appealed to a lot of people, but um, it, you know, when you're, when you're a kid and you're trying to chase the dream in your mid twenties, a kid from Canada, living on an Island uh, where you're literally five minute walk from the beach and wrestling four nights a week, it's, you know, it's a dream. It's the dream. Pretty much, pretty much. But uh, that was, that was kind of where, you know, in, in, in that time, like I had opportunities for, for WWE. Uh, I had a couple trips to Japan. Um, I you know what it's, what do you, what do you want to know? What do you want to hear? Cause it was, there's a lot. Yeah. Well, you know what fans, we are going to delve deeper in a, in another interview where we're going to have a longer format. We're going to talk more about these kind of stories. I'm going to throw out one last question before we talk about the current thing and, and wrap up is, um, in your mind, we've talked about this. There's always been this special mystique about Puerto Rico. You've been there. You're backstage. You've wrestled with the guys. You've seen the crowds. What exactly makes that mystique? What was it that was so different about Puerto Rico that it has this mystique for North American wrestling fans? I think a lot of the mystique. Uh, I, I, and again, like I haven't been there in years, and I can only you know speculate from what I see and read and and the few people that I keep in touch with. But uh, but back then, the early two thousands, going back. Uh, I think one of the main things about Puerto Rico was the people really believed it, really bought into it, and like, honestly, almost like religion. And, you know, you go back to the stories of like the late 70s and the, the 80s when you had uh, like Carlos and then Brody and the sheep herders. Uh, Abdullah the Butcher, you know, that's where you hear the stories about people throwing batteries and assorted liquids and, and, and melees and riots. And uh, if you watch a lot of that, the footage from uh, the 80s and the 90s, uh, there was no ringside seats. You know, you, you had, it was like in the middle, they had a lot of uh, kind of like basketball courts and the ring was in the middle of the floor it'd be like at a hockey it'd be like a hockey rink where you know it'd be at center ice would be the ring there'd be like no floor seats and then everybody would be up in the stands mm -hmm. and that was you know you have that space and you know you, you go back and you look at the angles you look at uh the violence and the it's the people believed whether they honestly believed there was this, especially this belief maybe the combination of the two it was just and you know that they believed man they believed and that's uh i think that's probably at its, at its core that's where that mystique really really stems from okay okay now you know what you're, you're still in uh year uh 24 of wrestling you're yeah. still here you're still competing uh yeah. now tell me just a little bit about that now and entertaining 
<laughs> tell, tell us a bit about that right now. I know, I know you're still wrestling in a semi-regular capacity in uh, Edmonton. Uh, yeah, so based out of Edmonton, the PWA, the Prairie Wrestling Alliance. Um, PWA has been going now. I think this was supposed to be our 19th anniversary back in March before the, uh, the sky fell. Um, I've been involved with the PWA since 2000, either 2012 or 2013. Uh, I've been very fortunate. Um, Kurt Sorokin is a uh, main owner. Uh, he's been great with me ever since from the, the first couple of conversations that actually I think it was Brady Roberts that kind of made the initial, uh, uh, hook up there for, for chatting and, and getting me involved. Uh, I've, Kurt's been great to work with. Everybody that's, you know, I'd say 98, 99% of the people that have worked with the PWA, great to work with. Uh, I've been very fortunate that being a respected veteran, uh, I've been able to have a fair amount of um, input into, you know, first and foremost, what I do, uh, in addition to helping out with other, you know, with matches and storylines and, and what have you over the past, past several years. Um, I've seen some tremendous talent come through. Uh, there's been a lot of guys that, you know, that Kurt has brought in for, you know, either to Edmonton shows, Calgary shows. Uh, I, I would be, I, I have to, one of my favorites just personally was uh, 2014. We had the Iron Sheep come in along with uh, Bushwhacker Luke. Uh, and that for me was, was an amazing weekend. First of all, because Bushwhacker Luke is a good friend of mine from the Puerto Rico days. Like I've known Luke now probably close to 20 years. Um, so it was great. Iron Sheik was always one of my favorite heels, favorite villains, and uh, getting to spend some time chatting with him. And uh, for those that know the Iron Sheik well, he had like the Indian clubs that he do the demonstrations, and I've got club bells which are similar. And uh, he was my my influence for for training with those. So I brought those down to the Calgary show and gave him a demonstration, and he loved it. Um, I was also, uh, at some point after that, uh, I did a character based on my impersonation, my, my Iron Sheik impersonations. Uh, it was the Ayatollah Adnan Al-Vaziri Anderson, which if you break that all down, um, half of it was Iron Sheik, and then half of it kind of came from Sheik Adnan Al-Casey back in the AWA days when he used to get his stables, like with... Ken Patera and Jerry Blackwell when they joined. So that was kind of the thing there. But um, yeah, that was great. It's, I would say to say it's probably the top promotion in Alberta, probably one of the top promotions in Western Canada, if not the, uh, the entire country. Um, they do, you know, we do shows the Edmonton and Calgary and then some of you know, the odd spot show here and there. But um, I'm very proud, very proud, very happy to uh, be associated and, and work with the PWA. And if you get a chance to check it out, I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, I don't know, I'm sure if you look it up on Twitter and Instagram, and you can, you can find PWA Wrestling. Now, if fans wanted to look up Andy Anderson's information, do you have stuff? Do you have an Instagram? Is there YouTube stuff? Where can people find stuff about you? Uh, Andy Anderson doesn't have a lot per se. There's, uh, if you find there's an Andy Anderson Facebook page, uh, I haven't honestly touched in a couple of years. I think the profile pic is one of myself in that uh, aforementioned Ayatollah character with Sheik Shabazz. So if you find that, you found the right one. Uh, 
I haven't looked at it in years. Um, there's an Andy, Andy Anderson or El Lobo kind of like fan page on Facebook. If you Google that, uh, there's that. Uh, Instagram, let's see, what am I on Instagram? I'm that guy, TCB247. Uh, and I usually post either wrestling stuff and workout stuff there. Uh, YouTube, I don't really have anything, but uh, if I've, I've just recently been kind of looking as stuff been popping up. If you search on YouTube for uh, IWA Puerto Rico El Lobo or IWA Puerto Rico Andy Anderson, you'll you'll find stuff you'll find stuff there. So that's at this time. Yeah. Excellent. Well, you know what, Andy, we want to thank you for coming on the show today. And you know what, friends, we are going to have Andy back. We are going to go. Uh, deeper into some of the other territories and stories and things. Um, if you're interested in uh, specific questions about any of those areas, if you want Andy to talk a little bit of something about in Japan or in, uh, the, in Tennessee and Puerto Rico, wherever, we're going to field in some questions like that. The only question we're not going to answer, we're, gonna, we're not going to ask him, is who the 2% of the guys in PWA that he didn't like, that he had to deal with. We're not going to ask that. We're staying away from that. We're going to keep this politically correct. But uh, other than that, <laughs> we want to thank you, Andy, for coming on the show. And uh, we want to wish you the best luck. And we look forward to seeing you, because I know I'll, I'll be seeing you once this uh, coronavirus goes in. I'll be uh, popping down to check out PWA shows, too. They're close to my neighborhood and definitely one of the funner companies that's out there. So thank you very much, sir. Thank you again for having me. Uh, my pleasure. Hey, folks, welcome back. You know what? I had a lot of fun. Elio, that was a really fun interview with Andy Anderson. That was. Pretty laid back who got so much more. He's another guy who I want to have on, folks. Tell us if you want to hear more for Andy Anderson, because you know what? He's got a lot of great stories. He barely touched on the stuff we could talk about. And uh, I'm going to put a post out, Elio. I'm going to send it over to you, and we'll send it out sometime, of an old match, one of his first matches, when he went down to USWA, him fighting uh, Brian Christopher, and he called himself like JT. Remember he said in the thing, his name was JT something. I found that match. I'm going to oh. send it to you. We'll post it up so people can get a look at the very early days of Andy Anderson. Okay. And, uh, he talked about that a whole experience about doing a moonsault and Brian Christopher going, what? You can do that? <laughs> and he was like, what? Nobody can do that. So, It'd be fun. Um, fans, we had a really good time. You know, it was a bit of a heavy topic to begin with, but it's this kind of stuff that's been weighing on our hearts, and, and it's really something that if we don't address, it just gets worse, you know? Um, we here at the, at the global WPOV, uh, WPOV MMA shows, we love all you fans. doesn't matter what color, religion, it doesn't matter where you're from. You're a wrestling fan, well, you're a brother to us. And we love the fact that we can all sit together, talk wrestling, talk what we like. And hopefully we don't hurt somebody's feelings enough that they go out and do something bad to themselves. We kind of have to learn to temper ourselves a little bit. It's easy to get caught up. It's easy to get yourself worked up about a thing and say something. Well, you know what? It's also easy to just step back, take a breath. And remember, you wouldn't want anyone telling you you were worthless and you should die. So why should you turn around and do that to someone else? Yep. All we can say is love each other. Be good to each other. You're a wrestling fan. You, you're in a small select company of people who enjoy a great sport. Mm -hmm. Enjoy the people around you and enjoy the wrestlers you see. Maybe, maybe Nia Jax isn't your cup of tea, but you know what? She's somebody else's cup of tea and she's her own cup of tea. So don't kick over the teapot and spill it everywhere because you're feeling like a dick. That's all I got to say. Fans, we love you. All of you out there, keep safe. This COVID crap, it ain't over. 
Not yet. Things yeah, may seem so, easier. Things may be slacking off a bit, but it's still scary. It's still out there. You know what, uh, Elio, as always, it has been fun hanging out yeah. with you this week. It was fun hanging out with Ant. We had a great time this week talking a lot of cool stuff. Talk some heavy stuff. It's fun, yeah. We had a great interview with Andy Anderson. Next week, we'll be talking to, uh, if you're a Canadian wrestling fan, you may know, especially Western Canada, you know the name Vance Nevada, one of the most prolifically wrestled wrestlers across Canada. Uh, we have an interview, 30-minute interview with him next week. We're going to be enjoying that. Keep an eye on, w, on, on our WPOV quarantine show. We've already done a, a thing about the early 80s in WWF. Last week, we did a whole thing about tag teams and their worth and divisions now. Tomorrow, I'll be doing a whole thing about uh, stampede wrestling stars who went over to WWF. Some of them succeeded. Some of them, you may not even knew they were stampede wrestling stars. That's going to be fun. And uh, I know next week, we're going to tackle the topic I've wanted to tackle for a long time, AWA Wrestling Circuit. More fun. <laughs> and then I'm just in the uh, process of developing another show for the third week. It will be a look at African-American wrestlers of the past, talking about some of the biggest names from Ron Simmons to Bobo Brazil. It's going to be fun. Throw a little bit of junkyard dog and a boogie woogie. You know what, fans? We love you all. We will see you next week. Elio, say goodnight to the good fans. All right, fans, we will talk to you all next week.